One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello. Uh, you're listening to Footy Prime the podcast. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, like, you mean like the radio? Oh, why didn't you just say that? Uh, so we've got uh, Danny Dick Dickio, who's uh, Dickio, and Mr. Uh, Craig Forrest, uh, who is apparently a bunch of trees, and Mr. James Sharman, who uh, I hope is not heir to the toilet paper fortune, but Sharman, Sharman, I think it's spelled slightly different. Uh, Mr. Dan Wong, who is paying me to say this, as well uh, uh, in the absence of Mr. Jeff Cole, who I've met before and I did not care for in the least. So enjoy the show. We're talking about footy today and uh, uh, have a party and a pint. Can I get paid now? Is that enough? What do you mean you're not going to pay me? Well, that was part of the deal. That was... Uh... I think that was Mike Myers doing an impression of Jeff Cole doing an impression of Sir Alex Ferguson. <laughs> that was great, though. Thanks, JC. Welcome to Footy Prime. Sharman, Dickio, Forrest, Wonger. JC isn't here today, but he'll be back, I'm sure. I next thought it was week. Alex McKechnie. Yeah. Kind of sound a little bit like You're Alex right. McKechnie. You've never seen Alex McKechnie and Sir Alex in the same room at the same time, have you? Mm, have you? Nope. I thought it was Rapsy Nesbitt. <laughs> You want me to turn around? <laughs> One from the past there. Are we are. We Absolutely. Yeah, we started. Oh, okay. Yeah, we started. Oh, okay. Yeah, so let's I, I wonder what Dan. I wonder what Dan was doing there. He's adjusting me. It's Tuesday, everyone, and um, as we speak, Chelsea has just kicked off against Norwich. Um, we shan't refer to it because by the time you hear this, you'll know the result. Chelsea will probably have not quite cemented their, their top four spot, I wouldn't think, but Norwich might cement their really... Well, are they done now? They're done. Norwich are done. done. Mathematically. Yeah. No, no Delia singing at the ground this season, thank God. Mm. But it's getting pretty exciting, isn't it, the race for top four and that final relegation spot, not to mention the championship. It's getting really exciting right now. Deitch is saying, he said before we came on here today, that Brentford will win automatic promotion. Of course. Guarantee it. This is a former West Brom player. <laughs> I know. West Brom uh, drew today. So that was a bad result. But I just well, think Brentford are on such clearer. a roll. They're on such a roll and they play really, really nice football. I think Leeds need four points from their final three or four games and they're up. So it'd be good to see them back up. Big, massive club from Yorkshire. Our old friend from Sportsnet will be very, very happy. Oh, Lamb. Yes. Aaron Lamb, who is not listening right Chops. now. <laughs> Pretty much guarantee that. You never know, actually. Maybe he will. He might do. But, uh, yeah, he'll be happy. Um, and Brentford, that'd be the first time they've made the top flight, right? Yes. Yeah, we're just going over the championship to see how many teams had been in the Premier League before. It's littered with them. I think there's only three clubs, three or four, 
that have never been. Brentford's one of them. Is that it, yeah? Yeah. You know who used to play for Brentford, former Canadian international? Played one game for Canada. Bertram? Nope. Yeah, he may have done, but... Bertram played more than one. <laughs> Did he? I don't know. He scored on his debut, didn't he? I, I think Northern think, Ireland. Think kissing been, the Canadian badge. Never been I do know this. Bertram's been here once. I think that was Bunbury. Uh, no, it may be yes too, but that's not what I'm thinking of. This is well before those guys. Les Wilson? Nope, that kind of era. Budgie. Nope, but Budgie's good mate. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Could go on forever, eh? Gord Switzer. Do you know Gord? No, I do not. No? Gord Switzer played once for Canada and played for Brentford uh, once upon a time. And was also... Uh, well, he wasn't Budgie's replacement, per se, at the score. But he did a number of shows with at the score for what it's worth. But nice. It's, so, it's so an interesting club. It's not a very big club, but it's... Uh, New stadium. They've just built yeah, a new stadium. Yes. New owners. They've always been sort of in the shadows of the bigger clubs. They kind of follow the lines of Moneyball, but in uh, the football sense. Uh, they got rid of their academy. Um, they said that we're, we're not we're not producing many players, and the players that we are producing at a younger level are just getting nicked from all the other clubs in England, so there's no point in having it. So we just have a, a reserve team and really focus on bringing in younger talent uh, from abroad that we can develop for our first team and it's, it's working well for them because they play really nice football so will they be appreciated by the English public or will they be looked down upon in that case so some, some of these I mean this is obviously a, a club that's got a plan um, I was going to compare them to Leipzig in Germany a bit unfair because Leipzig was financed and, and were created somewhat right by yeah. this, this big corporation whereas this is being built from the ground up but a team that's not turning its backs on English talent, but is saying, listen, this football world, the way it is, isn't going to serve as us and our needs right now, so we're doing it mm-hmm. this way. Mm-hmm. And it's proven successful. So will they be hated in the Prem if they got to the Prem? Or would the average I, I, no I actually idea? think it's just very, you know, you, you have to move with the times. Um, they've been clever. They thought on their feet about how to be sexful. Uh, sexful. Sexful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I was sexful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> but being successful uh, at, at a club like that, they're absolutely right. I mean, you look at uh, a lot of clubs haven't got rid of their academies. And a club like Ipswich used to develop all their youth right in and then eventually get a ch- shot at the first team. They're, they're, they're getting sold early too. So for them to adapt and think of a way to be successful. And then you have to go foreign if you're going to get cheap because it's even difficult in England if you're going to purchase somebody in lower divisions. It's going to cost you a lot of money, potentially, in Europe. Yeah. So will they be considered Good homegrown recruiting players? System? Is that, you know, cause obviously the homegrown player rule. So if you get them young enough, even from Europe, they're considered homegrown. Is that, is that their model? I think it's if they've developed within your club for three years. Right. Um, then their classes are homegrown. So in this case, they're getting them really early. So by the time they get... Well, so much early, but like they're they're bringing them in from either bigger clubs in Europe, and there's a number of players that are playing for their first team at the moment have either played in Germany, uh, in the Bundesliga 2, or in France, where they haven't made the first team at these big clubs, and they're run out of contract, and they're giving them the opportunity to play in the championship with... The, the hope of getting into the Premier League which they've done and they've sold them that to come to their club which as Craig said they're a very small club in West London and I'm not saying that as a QBR fan but they are a small club 
but they've now leapt in front of the likes of QPR and Fulham just because of the way they've adapted and fought in a different way as a club, you know? And I have to give credit to them because you could have just gone through the wire, uh, the mire of, of the old school way of trying to develop players and hoping they get through to your reserves and maybe get to your first team and sell one of them and just languish in League One or the Championship. They've said, no, we're going to make a go of this and try to get to the Premier League before we move into our new stadium, which will be massive for that club. You're thinking sort of, I think you're probably referring to like a Wolves and how they weren't respected by everybody because of how their their system was sort of run and and, uh, manipulated at times. I think it's different for this club, Brentford, um, because they're not buying their way there. Their their recruiting system is excellent. If you do have a, a recruiting system that is really really good, you're gonna you're gonna end up with a, a bunch. There is a lot of football players out there, and if you get the right character and the right guy that's got the hunger to do it, and they actually want to be part of a club, even like Brentford, because you're grouped together and nobody else cares about you really, as you're so small. Um, you get everybody on the same page. You can you can create something special, and they really have. They've they've, they've been competitive for the last few years. Mm. Yeah, well, you wonder at what point though will other clubs look at that model and say, "Well, let's try that," because as you alluded to, the, the conventional method isn't working for us. We're languishing. Mm-hmm. We're dropping down. Let's give this a whirl. I mean, yeah. I think a well, there's two ways to do. It. You're either going to go into a big time and buy, 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 like Man City owners did, and come in like that or you're going to do it in a way that you have to be you know more uh, careful with your your finances and how you you bring players in but Man City did it responsibly because they did it within the confines of financial fair play that's right they never broke any rules and you know of course uh, that's the case it's a a fucking joke you know they went to the court arbitration in sport they were found innocent essentially they're still fined 11 million so there's something they did wrong there and now, whether it's the do you see the lawyers coming out of there? They're like the power oh, wow. and the lawyers. Those guys. What chance did you ever stand? Oh, they would have just shit themselves. You absolutely have no idea. Although, no idea how to compete against oh, that. Slick, slick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're they even pulled out at one point. They pulled out. You ever pulled out a glove and said, "Try this on," and they said, "No, no, try the glove on." And they tried it on. They tried it on. Didn't fit, and they got off. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> it's crazy. It, their lawyers. If UEFA can't get their own shit in order, okay with all kinds of legalities going on, not only through trying to find certain clubs through racism or just through stupid fan behavior or or just internally getting their shit together, how are they going to try and tell other clubs and run this FFP, whatever it's called, like properly? It, it's, it's an absolute sham. But I told you guys about a year ago when we were on Sportsnet that this was what it would succumb to. Yeah. It would be a slap on the wrists, and they've gone from a 30 million fine down to a 10 million fine. The owners of Man City, they, they earn that in about bloody two hours. Yeah. So to have them breach the rules, which we all know they have done, they're saying they've gone around it in a different way, and uh, now Pep has come out and said that his club... Uh, is demanding an apology. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should be apologised to. Yeah, calling well. call the kettle. Jose, you see, huh? Jose, Jose today was too whining about it as well, saying it's disgraceful, and, and Klopp said it's a sad day for football. So, listen, lots of clubs try and contravene rules, right? And clearly, City tried as well and succeeded to do that. Whether it's UEFA's fault or whether City are smart enough to find a way. The bottom line is financial fair play. You can say it's, it's to protect the smaller clubs, which it has done. 
if you look at the debt load um, prior to FFP, it was almost 2 billion euros across Europe. Now mm-hmm. it's in the positive, almost a billion. So I it has, the idea, has worked the idea some of it is excellent. I think it actually has a role, the financial fair but play. The big clubs, does it really matter? I mean, isn't it, no. might, is, is it either designed to protect the small clubs or, as some cynics might say, is to uh, make sure that the big, big clubs are protected and that they won't be, won't be some upstart club coming in and upsetting the party? Well, there's that because, I mean, you can't these days come in and put massive investment into it with massive losses. You just can't do it. So if you have that at idea of buying a club and, and, and doing that, going into massive debts to eventually be profitable, like Chelsea, Abramovich yep. did the same thing. Um, it would hold those back, absolutely. But I don't think it, it doesn't seem to be, you know, football can have it both ways. If you're going to have basically countries, sheiks, oligarchs, U.S. oligarchs, because that's what they primarily are, running football, and letting them, you know, the Chinese government's got investment, mm-hmm. you know. And these people aren't likely to go away too quickly. The, 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 the no. legitimate ones. No, no. Right? The, yeah. the Romans and the sport and the washing thing, groups. right? The sports washing thing is, is yeah. definitely a, a narrative. And it works. I mean, I was seeing, you know, we've had on here Trevor Sinclair saying that, you know, it was a right decision, former city guy and player. And he's talking about, you know all the good things that these owners have done for the community. And that's exactly why they bought Man City in the first place, because they want that type of comment and narrative in a positive manner instead of them chopping up journalists. <laughs> I think you, I think you, <laughs> I think right. you also, I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I mean, it show also shows Middle East, but yeah, I'll take your point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I think it also shows how big a juggernaut Man City is. They've gone toe to toe with UEFA. Mm-hmm. And there was only one winner. Yeah. But like, part of the executive board of UEFA have PSG guys on it and Juventus guys on it. Listen, there's, a, there's an old man's club up there now. Yeah. Well, it's not an old man's club. It's a new man's club yeah. up there yeah. where the new money has come in and said, look, if you want us to continue to invest money and keep pushing Champions League, which is the, the, the best sell of anything sports-wise in the world, which is sold through to multiple countries and networks around the world, then we want either a seat on the board or mm-hmm. it's just yeah. we know it, the politics. They, they, they will threaten to break away exactly. and create a super league. A super league. They're still mishandling. I mean, UEFA mishandled this from the start, it seems, right? They must have had yes. if, if, if the issue was the time frame. We don't know what the actual issues were yeah. just yet. It'll come out probably at the time of this podcast, which misses a bed. Not our fault. But uh, if it came down to the fact that the numbers were, were being washed, so to speak, prior to the statute of limitations coming into effect, then that's UEFA's fault. They knew that. Mm-hmm. Yet they still went forward with this. this well, UEFA case. has some leadership changes as well. And when you're going toe to toe with the money and the lawyers and whatnot, you better be organized because these guys will find holes in everything. And we've spoken about this before. It's interesting to see when the likes of myself and Craig played and Shams, you were a younger fan of Liverpool back in those days. The owners of the old days were very like astute businessmen from that community, wherever it be Sheep, Sheepshanks at Ipswich, wherever it be um, Walker at Blackburn where they won the title. And Liverpool had local guys. Liverpool had local. But you rarely see that now. Those older guys, I think they saw this coming. Not calling them older as in age, but I'm saying the guys from back then, the ownership groups, saw this coming. 
and they knew they had to get out because the way football was going was it it was so much more than a business now and the tv well, rights and they came also, in they also didn't have enough money you didn't have enough they, money they, to they, support they were just quite rich they were just quite, quite rich. rich they weren't yeah they weren't super rich yeah. destiny switch yeah. Rich. yeah yeah i suppose does a game get better for it who the hell knows well you know look at the german bundesliga they're owned by germans everybody you know they 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 control that league um, the pyramid set up for the national team to be successful at the top of that. Premier League's not isn't like that. But isn't the yeah you're right. But at the same time, there's more parity in England than there is in Germany. Mm-hmm. Bayern Munich still that's true. Still wins yeah. every year with the yeah, exception of the occasional right. Dortmund. Or yeah, because they do have a financial fair play thing there too. And Bayern is so powerful, so powerful. And they got all the big companies. And historically, it's been powerful. So you can't oh, come in and say, oh, that's the, you can't be prove it. No. And they also buy they also buy the best German players that are playing in that league. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> Dortmund a few years ago they just had two and players and... that were already bought before the Champions League final. Yeah, and Klopp is trying to deal with that with yeah. Dortmund at the time. Yeah, that's right. God's uh, being the big one right at the time. Klopp's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I tell you, he might he might be my favorite manager. It's ever. tough to dislike him, and I, I'm obviously a little bit blinkered here, but it is, isn't it? It's hard. I don't even know. Like, it, it, you know, it's tribal football, and people hate. Other clubs and whatnot. I, it's hard to see how other fans don't you know, like him. And if they don't like him, they would be the first guys to have him when he was fired yeah. by Liverpool. It's, it's interesting to to watch him in the last two or three weeks. And I watched his interview after the Man City game when they got smashed, and he was very calm. But I could just see that he was absolutely fuming inside. And for me, that gives. That gives me a lot of hope for Liverpool. Even after the draw against Burnley, he gave a lot of credit to Burnley and he said that his team played reasonably well and Pope it was it was us against Pope, Pope the keeper. But yeah. again, he was you could tell in reality he was fuming inside. Yeah. And that gives me a, a hell of a lot of hope for Liverpool for their future because that tells me they've got a guy in charge that won't settle just for being good and just being champions. He wants to be dominant year in, year out. Yeah, you're right. And and as much as he'll put his arm around players and he's that kind of players manager, you know that in that room after a bad performance, he's hammering that team. There's two sides to him. And I think the players police it themselves as well. Sure they do. With, With Klopp being the main leader of that group, but... The players put demands on each other. You can see that on the field as well. You've got a talisman like uh, Van Dijk at the back. You've got Henderson, who we've spoken about, his leadership qualities. And even the front three, you can see that they get on each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they, 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 they really argue with each yeah, other, but they want the best. I mean, most times that I, the teams that I've been involved with, the guys, you know, you, you got like John Lau, the best manager I ever was under. But, you know, you would come in after a game and – he would let the players basically argue amongst themselves for 20 minutes. Like Just clear, hammer clear, clear each other. Type thing. Hey, let them deal with it. You're policing yourselves, right? You, mm-hmm. you really do. And then it's, you know, he's making his cup of tea in the corner. Let's everybody air their, you know, get, to get it out of their thing. And then he'll turn around and tell you what the hell you did that went wrong. Well, do you want a room as a coach, as a coach, do you want a room after a defeat that's just quiet, heads hung low, depressed or, or a room that's screaming at each other saying well i think there's a time and place um heads held low because everybody put a shift in and the result and a right. cup final was the other way around you're not going to be screaming and yelling so much you're just massively disappointed um but if you're playing a game where you feel that there's a few passengers and yeah they'll they'll 
they'll let them know. Even at, even at halftime now with like my my younger group, I always give them f- f- like four to five minutes before I walk into the room to let them discuss and and whether they're arguing or whether they're agreeing with each other or just talking about certain plays and tactics, giving them a little bit of ownership and then I'll come in and say my piece. And then I'll also give them some ownership as well to say, are you seeing it? I'll, I'll call out different people within the room. If it's a midfield guy or a goalkeeper and I'll say, are you seeing anything differently than what us as a group are seeing or me as a coach are seeing? And it's kind of, it's a collective understanding then that what we need to do is better and I think it's the same after a game as well you can let the players holler and shout at each other most guys when you reach a professional level are very very critical of themselves and their play they know when they've had a good game they know when, they've when had the manager a walks game. in you're like I wonder if he's going to pick me out he's going to yeah. you know isolate me and just because sometimes he would and, you, and even though you deserve it sometimes but What's the biggest bollocking you took in the room at halftime? Or full-time? <laughs> Very different. Bollocking. <laughs> oh, there was a few. I've had all, co- all yeah. kinds from you know what, And I had no issue with being <laughs> criticized for making a mistake. But it's also the case, too, is like if you're going to get berated constantly and consistently by somebody and – you truly as a goalkeeper going out there to tr- you're trying your best like you're you're not trying to make a mistake that's right so, so if they're going to criticize you for a split second decision on a through ball or something like that it's a bit yeah. different right Keep, Keepers is a little bit different little the different. classic the classic keeper one and I, I i hold my hands up i do it as well when a keeper makes kind of a mistake or a rick during the game the manager always stands up on the bench and he looks down at the goalkeeping coach and he goes, Yeah, that's right. Like as a keeper's coach. That's right. What the fuck's going on? Yeah, like and it's a goalkeeper, goalkeeper coach's fault. Goalkeeper coach is going, Well, it's not like we worked on that coach. He's trying to keep the ball out of the fucking net. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's individual mistakes of keepers, whereas with, with an out player, a striker, you, would you be bollocked more for just not following the, the team plans, the tactics, or making a mistake, missing a goal? Yeah, see that that to me is fine, but missing a goal, I mean, there's no Again, it's point like that. missing a save and berating a missing a that's true. close. That's true because Similar. you're going to kill somebody's confidence, and right. the, stri- the strikers are yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, we never got, I never got berated for missing a chance or anything. <laughs> Mine was more for like getting hold of the ball, uh, running around more, trying to stay more active, putting more work in. It was it was small details like that. Yeah. And, like if a ball comes into a striker and they do a little flick around the corner, yeah, and, and there's breaks the play there, up. Just like, like, for a f- like, what are you doing, Dickio? Yeah, <laughs> hold the ball up, Dickio. Well, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get my my very good friend Jason Roberts on uh, the podcast soon. Uh, he's he's living in Miami at the moment, so I hope he's safe and well. But we played at West Brom together, and our favorite manager Gary Megson was in charge. And literally five minutes into the games, he would be shouting, hollering. On the sideline, Diggio, you've got five minutes. Five minutes. You better start fucking running around. Robbo, Robbo, get hold of the ball. You got five as well. This is like five, ten minutes into the game. I remember he did it at Anfield once. This is at Anfield. I hadn't even touched the ball yet. Maybe that's why. He's like, (laughs) 90th minute. (gasps) No, this is our five minutes. Five minutes. I haven't touched the ball. We're at Anfield. Start running around more. 
You got five. Just running around more. That's the direction. I looked over like, what, what, what does that even mean? Yeah. Run around more. How about, can I get a touch? Yeah, we couldn't right. get out of our own half. Did you have like running around drills and training? <laughs> we, had, we had a specific training session called Murder Ball. It was the worst drill ever. It was a, a possession game for the team, team in possession. Just had to keep possession of the ball for five balls. The team that were trying to hunt the ball down and, and win the ball were just trying to do that as a, a group with less numbers. And just win it. When you won it, you had to kick it out of bounds. So I had no understanding of what the purpose of the drill was. It was it was a fitness drill, but just to go and scrap and try and win the ball off of a team that had more numbers. So this five v three. No, this was like a ten versus oh, six. Oh, ten v six. Jesus. And six, you used to have six forwards just go and run around and try and hunt the ball together. Sounds like tons of fun. I love that oh, being the attacking. And we team. called it murder ball. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Yeah, except when a guy comes through you because you're so sick and tired of chasing for yeah. half an hour. Yeah, there's that. And we would kick each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so this is a this is a, a training method throughout various teams. It wasn't just team, your, your particular team. You did it well, as well. Similar stuff. Similar things. Sure. Yeah. 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 A lot of it in the eighteen yard box. Yeah, it was just some of the stuff. You know, we be did. really good at murder ball. And a bio, Akin Fenwa. Beast. Beast. The beast be mode. Good. Best. Well, probably the best uh, post match quote this season we've heard so amazing. far. Wiccan Wanderers up to the championship, which in itself is quite amazing. They, they were just born in the 90s, I think, weren't they? The choir boys. And th- this, this fellow who, who found some fame a couple of years ago now playing against his, his beloved Liverpool, playing, I think, for Wimbledon at the time. This guy is, what, 250 pounds? Two, no, 225. 225? Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? He might have got to 250. Yeah. He might have got to 250. He's 38 years old now. Massive personality, massive character. Yeah. And, and it's Wiccan Wanderers. Um, got to the championship and he's just been all over the news ever since. If he he may not kick a ball in the championship, he might be done. He's thirty eight, but he'll get a job at Sky Sports, BBC, Footy Prime, whenever he wants. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I was what uh, a character. What a character. What a great interview, eh? You're just showing some passion and some honesty oh. and some emotion. And this is a guy who's played nothing but third or fourth tier no or football, lower. Yeah. He's never been as high as a championship. Mm-hmm. And he's, but even like Klopp says about him is that you can't talk about him not being in the top flight and what Wickham have done in the same conversation because dreams are different for different people. Four years ago, he was out of work. The guy's massive. Like, I didn't even think that there's somebody that big could play football. And <laughs> goalkeepers. Neville Southall was in, dead, Well, to <laughs> Neville Southall. The bin man. <laughs> yeah, Neville wasn't quite cut like him. <laughs> Not quite, no. especially up front. No, he was a melting ice cream cone. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen him lately? Oh. No, I haven't actually known. Oh. No. <laughs> it would be a toss-up between him and Razor, who looks worse. Who looks worse. <laughs> I'd like to see John Burridge as well now. Yeah, I wonder what Budgie's wonder what doing. Budgie doing. Probably catching apples and stuff. Yeah, you ever on, the, on the, the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> you ever hear this one, Wong, or you know how football this is? Oh, Budgie. John Burridge, one of the... One of the best goalkeepers from back in the 80s, 90s. Played for everybody. Played the most games ever. Yeah. And he was just an absolute lunatic. Lunatic. So absolute on Friday, lunatic. he would tell his wife to surprise him. So he'd watch on TV. And she, <laughs> on the sofa. On the sofa. And she would, you know, the fruit bowl. It could be an apple, an orange, or something like that. Just all of a sudden fucking comes at him. And he's... <laughs> That's amazing, really. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Just kick them with the reflexes up. Yeah, so there was, yeah, just surprise me. Just... Don't let me know what's coming. She was like Kato. Is it Kato? 
Oh, he went in. But rather than attack him. Correctly so. Oh, yeah. The Pink Panther. Yeah. And then. It surprised me, right? And then on away trips, his roommate had to do it. When you're in a single bed in a double room, he used to sleep with his goalkeeping gloves on. And he'd have. He'd have like tennis balls, a bag of tennis balls that he would give to his roommate. Wouldn't be another goalkeeper because goalkeepers are not allowed to share rooms in case one of them becomes sick. And his roommate, while they're watching TV, he would just have to grab a tennis ball and throw it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) Reflex, reflex. Obviously worked for him, right? A good career. Great career. I, 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 why don't I remember that name? John, John Burridge. Burridge. You, you look it up. I just classic, can't... classic goalkeeper. Yeah. I, I, when I was at, when I was at Sunderland, Burridge. there's a great B-U-R-I-D-G. story with Burridge as well. I never played with him, so I never played on the same team as him, although he played for many teams. Played up in Newcastle for a bit. So I'm in a bar in Durham, which is just outside of Sunderland, and he walks in and he looks like, um, don't mean to sound bad, but he looks like Gary Glitter. He's yeah, got like he he's got a leather jacket on. He's got a hair greased back and everything. The legend a of budgie. The so uh, he comes up to me. He goes, uh, uh, "You're Dickio, aren't you?" I went, uh, "Yeah, yeah." He went, uh, "John Burridge, pleased to meet you." I went, oh, "Nice to meet you, budgie." He's going, uh, "I remember everyone." He says, "Do you remember scoring against me?" And I went, "Ooh, um, I don't actually." He went, "27th minute, Southampton." QPR, wow. 1997. You chipped me from just inside, left-hand side of the box. That just came to He, he was like that detailed. Yeah. And we just, he just actually saw me in the bar. He didn't know I was in was there. Was he in the spectrum? I think so. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, to recall that. But apparently he did that with kind of every like player that he met, striker or forward or anyone that scored. Inside he knew computing. all the goals he conceded. Almost like a photographic memory. Yeah. <coughs> wow. And just so oh. into it. Big personality, though. Big, big person, character. Like he wanted to be the best goalkeeper in the world. He never was. Played for some big clubs, Played, though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. City? City, Newcastle. Yeah. You were the biggest uh, You were the biggest Premier League player when you were in year one. I think you were, weren't you? Tallest. Yeah. Tallest. For the first Tallest. three or four years, that was my claim to fame. I didn't even know that until I saw it on the stats of the Premier League. I was like, oh, okay. And you, you were probably tallest player in most of your clubs you played in. I would think, or up there anyway. Up there, be. yeah. But we, when I played, we had quite a few tall players playing back then. Yeah, different era, obviously, yeah. right? Not there was a lot. Era, right? Oh, yeah, they big wanted boys, the big boys up front. Big yeah. boys up front, yeah. big big guys at the back as well. Good yeah. Big, big profile, goalkeepers. Yeah. Well, because it was so direct. Now they're the little weasely little it fellas, was, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah, they're all these little shrimp. They wouldn't Rips, last. You know, they would get kicked off the ball. Ten packs. Yeah. What's, yeah. What's the hell? What's little now? Oh, some of them are 150 pounds. Oh, there'd be five, four guys and stuff. Javinko's five, four. Yeah, he's tiny, wasn't he? David Silva, tiny. tiny. Liam Messi, I mean, some of the best players in the world now yeah. are tiny. I mean, Ronaldo's almost the exception now as being this, this you know, yeah. built, tall yeah. striker. Yeah. Well, we yeah. said before, it's a little bit like hockey, where hockey's mm-hmm. changed as well. Not only the goalkeepers, but, but the players as well have changed. Yeah. You don't really see Small. big defensemen any day, do you? Well, see yeah, smaller guys, agile, quick. Yeah, can't even to, get near them. Used to hook that stick around and just ride you. 
<laughs> no penalty. No penalty. Remember that hooking penalty changed, and everybody was like, "What?" Yeah. They kept calling penalty. It's like stop. Changed the everything, didn't it? Because the, the, the devil's so then all of a sudden lower, like smaller technical guys were able to play. It makes the game better. Just like I think they made football better. But there's a again, wasn't good to watch. Wasn't there's, there's a balance, right? Yeah. Wasn't good to watch. No. Are, are the football in the eighties and it was awful. Are you kidding me? It was the best. Nineties was better. Nineties was better. Nineties. 80s was horrible. 80s was like er, there were so many teams going in the direction of the Wimbledon model. Wimbledon, yeah. Cambridge. Yeah, but I mean, as I see, you were in the game in the 80s. You knew it more than me. I was a fan of a kid in the 80s, so to me, it was just wonderful. It was brilliant. I had no idea about tactics. Still don't actually. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, you were watching you know, was, Liverpool. Yeah, right. So it's, my my memories of that era yeah. is, is something very different to what. Yeah, the, truth the best teams was. were playing, but the teams underneath them weren't. And sure, and with the success of Wimbledon, how they stayed in that division yeah. for so long with not great players, but Got there, intimidation. I can Fenwell would have been a good player in the eighties. Yeah, right? stick him up top, causing trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of players like him. Fash the bash. Yeah, physical players. Right? Sanchez. They're yeah. a horrible team. Do you see? Oh, I saw this. You know, um, Ted Lasso. He's, you know, he, he's uh, Jason Sudeikis, the actor. Yeah. He did these NBC segments promoting the Premier League, where he played this American That's right. coach. Right? There's yeah, a was... movie coming out. Really? It looks really funny. Actually, it's on um, YouTube. The trailer right now. Okay. I think Apple TV is doing it. Um, it looks really quite funny, actually. So it's going to be the same. Is it going to be a? He's playing. He's playing the same character. Is he's he playing Ted Lasso? And some club, Richmond United or something, have signed him. Seems like, from what I took from the uh, the trailer, it seems like the ownership are trying to do something a little bit shady. So they bring in this guy who's clueless about football, but comes from North American sports, American yeah. football. Yeah, it looks really, really funny. I have to say, Bob Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. No, it isn't fair. He's actually a good coach, but just. It's amazing the terminology and the American terminology they was using over there that they're just I know jumping him back. Yeah, it didn't stand a chance. Well, no. he's, he's got his own um, segment on. How you doing? This is Ted Lasso. I'm the new head coach of the Tottenham Hotspurs, <laughs> and uh, I'd like to talk to the Queen, please. Um, Fenners from Soccer AM axes him. It's actually pretty good. MLS restart. A few games in. Yeah. Did you know? I had no idea, but apparently uh, Adidas sponsor. <laughs> that, big, that big, uh, that big image in the middle tough of the screen. To, tough to miss that, isn't it? Tell wow. you what, though, you know what? From an advertiser standpoint, when you're trying to give something back to them, it works quite well. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. And then the sideboards, when you see the lower camera angle, it's different. Yeah. So all those advertising can be all Canadian. So you see all the Canadian advertisers on there. But let's be honest, it looks awful overall. Where they're playing, I don't blame them. I'm not saying I'm not making judgment on why they're playing there. Or they have never but it looks. Ter- I'm making judgment. What on looks why terrible? They're playing there. What looks terrible? The actual, the actual field product. The, the, yeah, no, no, not, not the product. The actual field itself. It's you know you can see beyond the stands. You know it's like a sports yeah. complex, right? As opposed to yeah. a stadium. I, I'm just saying that it's an imperfect situation, and this is what they decided to do. But it looks really, really bush league to me. To be honest with you, I, I just I I've said it before. They they shouldn't be down in Florida. Seems a little. Can you imagine an early spring? All of a sudden, all these teams say we're going to fly to New York and we're going to start these tournaments. Yeah. in New York, they would have gone Same like thing. you are crazy. Absolutely, Florida's not, had yeah. three thousand more cases than New York had on their worst day. Yeah, but but Disney isn't in New York. 
and yeah. ESPN. <laughs> Disney World. I mean, the complex, right? Massive complex. Yeah, right. That's why they're there. Massive. Because you've got the NBA guys down it's, there. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, the NBA have the money to actually put a real bubble in place. I think it's costing the sure NBA somewhere has. around $150 million. Wow. For, for NBA? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for the Raptors to, to be in Naples, which probably around a million and a half for the club to hmm. quarantine before moving across. It did feel kind of normal, though, for us to get up and have some breakfast and watch some soccer. Right, mm-hmm. which is MLS in this case, right? But there's, there's whisperings and murmurings that they might want to continue these early kickoffs beyond this season because of really? uh, TV opportunities. Well, so if there's, a, a, if there's a gap in the states, that would be the that would be a, a something to think about. Yeah, because when, even when you're down, like in you know covering games, and we were doing games in Dallas, and the college football season has just started. Holy Christ! Like to try the they're trying to compete against yeah. the college, the NFL, not possible. all these other sports, baseball, whatnot. But really so, difficult. So, for instance, uh, Chicago plays against Seattle this morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. So now if you're a Seattle fan trying to watch your team that's play six. down in Florida, that's 6 o'clock. So well, that's, that's where... Little, that's a wee yeah. early. That's a little bit early. But I understand why they're playing early down there because of the heat. Even at uh, TFC's game the other day, they played at 9 o'clock yesterday. Yeah, and Josie was whining about that. And it looked absolutely roasting. I think it was 34 at like 9.30, 10 in the but morning. tell me from a footballing standpoint, right, playing at 9 a.m. from a footballing standpoint, from what you're used to playing, you're playing afternoons, evenings, right? Mm-hmm. How does that, I mean, what is their routine like? How, you know, I wouldn't really mind it because generally speaking, we started training at 10. That's true, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, when you go away in international duty, it was always a good idea to train a few days prior, at the same time as kickoff. A lot of managers didn't do that back in the day, mm-hmm. but if you think about it, makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. Yeah, trying to peak yourself for forty-eight hours down the road, you want to be training at the same time as kickoff. But when I when I wake yeah. up in the morning, it takes me about three hours to stop. Clicking and crunching and <laughs> stringing stuff. Well, you're you know you're not quite in your prime anymore. <laughs> as, as Craig scans me from head yeah. to toe, you're yeah, clearly, sucking your gut in. <laughs> you should see my prime. <laughs> actually, you look better now than you. I know. Yeah. I actually, I've actually lost yeah. 19 pounds yeah. during COVID. Yeah. It's been great. The, 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 the key <laughs> thing, the key thing for when you're uh, for when you're playing so early in the morning is it really really mucks up your preparation. So if you're kicking off at 9 o'clock in the morning, you're supposed to eat three hours before right. you play. So now you're having your breakfast at 6 o'clock. Now you've got players waking up at like 5.30 in the morning. If they're sleeping right. I mean, I imagine... If they're sleeping sleep. right. They'll, well, they'll, listen, they're all, as I said before, they're looked after very, very well down there. They're all in isolation in their own rooms. Security's everywhere. But it just... It'd be tough to prepare. I've, I've been on the road with my team and having nine o'clock games, whether it be in Chicago because we have to travel back so far on bus. It's tough because you're traveling a long way, but also you're asking players to get up at a, such an abnormal time and then eat chicken and pasta at six o'clock in the morning or eggs and beans, whatever it is that your pre-match meal is, to then play at nine o'clock in the morning. After the game is pretty good because you've got most of the day left to mm-hmm. to go and live your life, but... Mm-hmm. As you're I like these, those early kickoff, noon kickoffs. Remember them? Do you like them? I liked. I I, I preferred the, the best. Kickoff. I liked evening kickoffs. 
I loved an evening kickoff because mm-hmm. nice nap. A little nap, but you had a, a longer day to just relax and prepare like yourself the for the game. I never li- enjoyed. I didn't the like day. three o'clocks. Didn't you? No. I, well, I, I was not comparing myself to you guys, but I used to get nervous before games. And if I was playing in the evening, you'd have all day to think day about. Long I'm thinking I about. was the same. I didn't like it. Just you just want to get it over with. Yep. Seemed like the longest <laughs> final whistle <laughs> ever. I was playing for the wrong team, obviously. But <laughs> whole day did you ever win any games? <laughs> I know he's going to put me on. T- did, did you ever win any games? Go to your dad. Listen, dad. I never won any games. No. <laughs> That's why he was on the other team. <laughs> Put, put, put my son on the other team. I'm guaranteeing a W. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying that. So down in MLS, they've got nine o'clock games. Then they've got eight o'clock games, and then a ten o'clock game. And I think it was the other night. I can't remember what game it was. There was thunder and lightning in the area, and that game didn't kick off till like eleven thirty, twelve at night. Yeah. So imagine that. Now well, your TFC game a few years ago now was was cancelled in Dallas. The next yeah. Morning. Dallas was that? Yeah. They yeah. The next morning, bro. There was one in Dallas that got delayed because of rain and lightning, right. and they had to hang around in the locker rooms, the changing rooms, yeah, to finish the game. I think you you think was where they had to play the next morning. And there was one here in um, it was like a, was a, a Champions League. No, was it Champions League or it might have been Champions? Yeah. It might have been Concacaf, and they had to postpone it to the next morning because Dallas couldn't fly home, right? I don't know if they they started it at the exact time where they finished it. I think so. I think they it was did. Like thirty minutes into yeah. the game, so they played yeah. the final sixty. Right. It's tough over here in North America. It's tough because of the travel and the distance where teams are coming in or going into play. Yeah, it comes. It's not like you just get on a bus and no. go back. <clears throat> what was your go-to pre-game meal? Was it always the same? Mostly. I'm assuming DJ pasta, but what about you, Craig? I had a little pasta and chicken breast, boiled chicken. You said boil. You said boiled chicken breast. Chicken breast. Yeah. Yeah. And pasta and. Yeah. Again, it depended on the yeah. time of kickoff. If it was a if it was a three o'clock kickoff, I would have just a big breakfast of scrambled egg and baked beans on yeah. toast. But if it was an evening game, you'd obviously have to prepare. I didn't like eating too much before games. I didn't like having a full stomach. Mm. Have a big lunch and then big have a lunch, sleep. And yeah, then sleep. Have, have a little bit of tea and toast. Used to have like lots of stuff in in the change room, locker room, like candy, jelly beans, cereal bars, fruit. If you needed a little snack before playing, but I didn't like having a, a full stomach. I, I had yeah. players that I played with that had like plates of food. Yeah, yeah. Constantly. I wasn't that hungry. No plates of food. I don't know whether it was nerves or yeah, yeah just, just anticipation of the game. I think. Yeah. Half time, would you have a snack? Would you need something? No, nothing at all. Yeah. No, no. Just obviously hydrate. But just trying to, just trying to catch my breath. <laughs> I'd have a, week, I'd have a little too much. A little, a little wee cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> keep running yeah. it's half time Gaffer you got keep five running minutes again though again though for a keeper it's different at half time right because you're not swimming clearly yeah he was in the toilet <laughs> he was in the toilet <laughs> cubicle yeah exactly having a smoke <laughs> yeah you're about to criticise that Craig but yeah. wait a minute no you actually were yeah. smoking at half time Jimmy was saying that at half time when we were in Confederations Cup in Japan came in and we had actually played really well we should have been two or three up and we didn't take our chances no nil or something went crazy a little bit and then went in the bathroom and he's like Jimmy's looking for me. He's like, "Where's Stacks?" I'm up at the vent. Like, Jimmy, what's going? He goes, "What are you doing?" Just having a quick one. Send, sending out smoke signals. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, hey, Jack Charlton died this this mm. weekend. Yeah, gentleman Jack, the legend. 
No kidding. What a great legend. guy. Great Sad. guy. Yeah, was he? Yeah, really good guy. Yeah. He actually tried to get me to play for um, Republic of Ireland under 21s wow. just before I chose um, oh, there's England. Oh, a lot of ways. Because he thought that my um, on my mum's side were Irish, <laughs> but they were English. Yeah. They used to get a lot of English players for yeah, you know playing. A lot of English players played. Two grandmothers back. Right. It was your. I think it was your grandparents, wasn't it? Your grandparents like, as far as, 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 far as your two generations. Oh. So how how did this abduction attempt begin? No, he just <laughs> he called it up through um, my agent and through the club, and I think they'd done some work to try and see if there was any Irish ancestry, but there wasn't. Like my family are all English or all Italian. If there was, would you have considered it? <laughs> I would have at the time, but I'd just been called up for the England under twenty one. So Yeah, it's tough to say no to that. It was I think if there was a case I would have played more games definitely for Ireland at the time because as as Craig knows, they were a very direct team. Mm-hmm. Um and they looked for big guys up top. They had Quinney up top, John Aldridge at the time was a big striker as well. So team. they were looking for younger guys to start supplementing the older Houghton guys. Mm-hmm. Ray Houghton was a lot of the older group at the time, he but was, yeah. they had a fantastic Paul group. McGraw? Was he? Paul McGraw was there. Roy Keane was there at the time. They had a very, very good group. You remember, Republic of Ireland went through to the quarterfinals of the oh, World I Cup. I mean, at you the know? time, they were probably, if not, maybe not quite England's quality, but... Not far off, though. There's some good yeah. quality players. Yeah, right. The deck was quite anybody there. on their day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the majority of of their squad played in the Premier League, the top division yeah. as well. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah. A, a good guy. Met him two or three times. Very charismatic. Very similar to Bobby Robson. Um, wore his heart on his sleeve. Just, I mean, he did well as an English guy to take over Ireland. That's and be welcomed in like that. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have a. Kind of special personality for that. Some great stories coming out about him, you know, and what kind of character he was. Clive yeah. Tilsley came out. He got let go by uh, yeah. ITV. ITV yeah. today. Yeah. The top job, right? Yeah. But um, he, he a great post this week saying how uh, he was talking to him or someone, and, and during the, the World Cup final, um, there was a moment where they're up three two, and uh, <clears throat> um, they get the ball. Moore gets the ball, and, and there's Jack saying. Just get rid of the ball. Get rid of hoof the ball. Get rid of it. And rather than that, Moore played this Hollywood pass up top. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then boom, onto the boot of, uh, oh, was it Jeff Hurst, who then scored yeah, the fourth yeah, goal, yeah. 4-2. And then he goes, that was the moment he realized I was screaming because I couldn't do that. I wouldn't have thought of doing that because I wasn't as good as Bobby Moore. So he's saying that in, in this moment, England's greatest moment, he had realized in a split second, I'm not that good. Yeah. compared to this guy and that's kind of the character of the man amazing yeah amazing but so many great stories coming out so many great stories yeah he was he was really incredibly honest Lead, different personality than his brother Bobby yeah Leeds legend as well yeah you know played on that he, he, the, knew, the great he, team. Knew, he knew his limitations yeah as a player but he was very successful and he was probably limitations as a manager too how important is that to know your limitations as a footballer? Not, m- not many guys know it. That is my key thing to younger players at this moment in time. And I, I keep having conversations with players that have a lot of potential, but know what you are good at. I, I don't like to say know your limitations as where you can get to, but... Focus on your strengths. Focus on your strengths, on what you are good at in the game. Don't think you can start dribbling in and out of people when you're a stand-up defender who wins balls um, and you're aggressive by nature, 
that that's your role. That's why you're in the team. Don't start thinking you can take on players. Don't start thinking you can play a diagonal ball with your left foot when you can't even step on the bus with it. <laughs> so really focus, especially at a younger age, on like the potential you have with the strengths you have at that moment and really work on them. And it's, it's tough to, to get through to a lot of these younger players because they see so much on TV or on games or yeah. players that they think, even in our first team, that they're better than. But you would be there if you were better than them. So really focus on your strengths at this present time mm-hmm. and then we can start incorporating it's other true, because when you get to that level and that point, you might have politics leading in and you know, sports is full of politics. There's even politics at professional level. But at the end of the day, if you're good enough... They don't care. No. But, I mean, you guys played, obviously, at the highest level, but there must have been a moment when you realized, okay, that guy's better than me, and I'll never be as good as that guy, be it a teammate or an opponent. Was it was <clears throat> a particular moment that stands out? Well, when I was young, and I, uh, the first time I played against Peter Shilton, he was at Derby County, and I came out early just to watch his warm-up. <laughs> really? <laughs> to see what he did. So, yeah. Dar- I forget, with Derby, was that towards the end? Was it after Southampton? It was after Southampton, right? Yes, I believe it was. So, towards the end of his career? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But how easy he made it look. Really easy. Even guys that coach me, like Phil Parks. I mean, Phil Parks is, I think, recently voted number one ever for West Ham. Right. He was amazing. <laughs> like, really, really good. For a big man, incredibly soft hands. But Shilton was that way. <laughs> Big lunch, man. This, this, the lunch cat story. Coming yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not talking about... He was tender, soft hands. Yeah, I wasn't talking about his touch on me. Phil Parks. Uh, it, that, yeah. was, that was... Yeah, that, that, was, that was rather hard, but... sessions. He was, he, he was such a good guy, too. Like, super nice guy. He played under John Lyle. Played on John, under John Lyle. So when he was... John Lyle was my coach at Ipswich. We're standing in the tunnel, and Phil Parks, you know, a bad-looking guy, but, you know. He was got a big unit, wasn't he? He played a QPR Munster, for a bit as well, yeah. Munster, right? Had a terrible hair, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a little tash. Yeah, so John Lyle says, John Lyle was wondering why I, basically my nose was straight as a goalkeeper. Right. <laughs> and that I'm doing something wrong because my nose is straight. And he's like, he's like, look at Phil. <laughs> Look at Phil. Phil's nose is all over. And Phil's like, "Fuck, John, I, I never broke my nose." <laughs> I just, I was just, I was just born like this. I said, "See, John, you're just fucking smarter than the rest." You mean you're naturally looking like that, Phil? <laughs> you poor bastard. You are really ugly. Lucky he has soft hands. Yeah. Oh, he did have some hair, eh? True back I used to call him oh. at QPR. Big man, big huge hair. Yeah. But what's it about Shilton though that you, you just just how easy, yeah. easy and calm? I think like here I am, young kid, flustered and like trying to get into the game and warmed up and everything else, and just watch how this you know guy with this all this experience and oh, I don't even think he got to like sweat on like even his warm up. He was just everything he did was in control, smooth. in control. Shilton was it just Southampton and Derby? Who else did he play for? Didn't he play for Forest as well, Peter Shilton? Leicester. Uh, Pull so him up, Dan. Peter Shilton. Just my, my point being that this was the England number one. Like there was yeah. no one close to him. Right. Well, great. You know, he had he had Ray Clements. Right, Clements, but he was just 
after Clemens, wasn't he? Yeah. I think. yeah. yeah. Pete Shorten and Ray Clemens. Ray Clemens was yeah. like his number two, and he didn't, Ray he didn't like said, I, He called his number two. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Clemens Ray Clemens was great to watch as but well. Music, but, but back in, the, in that, nowadays, England's number one is going to eventually get a very big club. Yeah, he played right. at Leicester, there, Stoke, there, Forest, clubs, but never, never Southampton, Derby. No, yeah. no, that's true. Yeah, so I mean, ba- basically, Everton big, wages big club, wages were like okay, oh, you know, you're going to get 200 a week, and uh, as opposed to 180. Oh, I'm going to move to that. Club. Yeah, yeah. You know. for 20 bucks right. extra. Yeah, 20 quid extra. So I mean, back in the day, the guys were making 40 pounds peanuts, peanuts, and they got. I mean, just like it, probably you could look at other sports that done that as well. Until there was unions and player protection, TV you know, money, TV yeah. money, and everything else, uh, the owners were taking the mass majority of it. Yeah. So contracts were small. Was there that moment when you saw, okay, that guy, I'm good, but uh, that guy is a different level? Uh, there were many guys like back, back <laughs> in the Premier League days. You were like, like when I first played against Ronaldo, like younger Ronaldo, I was like. This kid's only 18 and he's taking the absolute piss. Like, yeah. and he was like a scrawny, thin, yeah. lots of Step hair gel. Overs. But was it a confidence about him? I mean, obviously, yeah, he had this arrogance took, about took him. People on just yeah. And like, United and looked after him as well. Yeah. But like, if you were worried about him, then, and you were doubling up with him on, on the other side, you had Ryan Giggs. And then up top, they would have like Ruud van Nistelrooy or whoever it was at the time. But there were plenty of guys. But one of the main guys that when I first saw him in, in the flesh playing on the, f- on the same field with him was Dennis Bergkamp. All right. Because he just, he just played in a different way, but he saw the game so far ahead of Cerebral. everyone else. He was just like two passes or two moves ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, and you... Obviously, as a striker, you're watching a lot of the play at the opposite end when the team are attacking your defend, defensive group. So you're kind of looking, but you're watching the striker's movement from the opposing team as well. And I just used to watch him. He, you could just see he was just, he was like, and I hate to call it a ballerina, but he was so elegant with his movement and just the way he created separation and moving off of defenders and then finding the right spot to finish. It was just, it's uh, interesting you talk about that the, the, the movement like in any sport when you watch a guy like Federer mm. how he moves laterally a court guy like uh, there's an elegance about it isn't there yeah. they float as opposed to <clears throat> you know Brodeur and goal you know watch him in the Olympics although it was his last game he didn't play particularly well you know right behind the goal just watching his lateral movement yeah but it's funny because you say that about these, these the, the all time greats right as as a regular sports dude myself, I, I play in charity games against or with professionals. And every professional moves differently to the average guy. They just do. Even big buggers like you, you move differently. You float around the field. Whereas I'm, I'm all clunky, like, you know, flat-footed, well, ugly. Some, you need some physical literacy well, training. That's physical literacy. <laughs> I am physically illiterate. <laughs> so that, well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, but that's not training. That, yeah. First thing is that's, recognizing it. <laughs> but that's not training. That, that's just knowing, that's having it born to a certain point. Right? Uh, I, I, you you could have got the greatest coaches in the world, yeah. and I'd still be an average, average clubman <laughs> at an amateur right. low division. Right. I mean, yeah. beer league. Some people. <laughs> crap team. Some people, yeah. You know, it's, it, it is. I mean, and, and I'm, not the, I'm not trying to, you know, polish your nonsense here. But mm. it, when, when you when you walk around, when you do see a professional at any level just moving around a sports field, it's just different. Mm-hmm. It just is. It's also the the time 
and repetition that they've put in throughout their career. And I was, and I'll be humble enough to say, I was an average player that played at a decent level. But when you're going to an elite level and you look at a Burkamp or a Thierry Henry or guys that have played at a high, high level for a very long time, the amount of extra training and it's not just by chance that they become that good. Like we, we can speak about different sports. Like we spoke about Federer. We speak about Tiger Woods and the amount of work he put in in the gym that no one really sees, but for his dedication and repetition to be that good. Okay, he's had his uh, off the golf course problems, but guys that play at a high level, a we talk about the swimmer. Uh, what's his name? Um, Phelps. Phelps. Like I watched the program with him, and, and like his gym work yeah, and just his dedication it? to mm-hmm. his conditioning and everything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't by chance that these elite yeah. level athletes moved like that or you're, you're performed talent, like that, right? But yeah, that doesn't make you exactly. successful. Yeah, most of the great, great ones are not training hard. They're they're working incredibly hard, knowing that they have it. But like you look also at you, be you, the last ones off the field or right. the course. You look or, at Ronaldo now. Okay, to, to to the majority of people in the world, they can't stand him because of the way he acts and his image and, mm. like, he's taking pictures, elegant pictures. But the <laughs> amount of that guy, the work that guy puts in off of the field... He's such a professional. Like, he's doing abs, at, like, a core workout before he goes to bed. Like, the majority of us have had our meal and we're having, like, a coffee and we're thinking about... All right. Shutting her down? Yeah, shutting her down for the night. <laughs> He's doing abs and going for a 40 lap yeah. Just think about his life. Swim. If, if he wasn't quite so disciplined, he could still be a world-class player, right? Ronaldo, as an example. World-class player. He's got the ability. If he put half the work in, what a much better life. <laughs> much more fun. And <laughs> <laughs> still be a superstar making lots of money. Yeah. But there was a... down a bit there, Ronnie. <laughs> I'm with you. You know what? <laughs> you got to think, a guy like Ronaldo and his mentality, he wants to be undisputed player best player ever played he wants to be that and he's probably going to retire and there's always going to be the debate about everybody else and of course Messi his mentality is I don't think he'll retire in happiness I think he'll it'll be it'll eat him up that some people don't think he's the best they ever played the ego is so large and that's not a criticism right but, but that's it, also it what's is. made him so good yeah but I think it would he, he's not going to be blissful. I think maybe he, he's going to he hope that bug him. Messi retires first, and he'll have three or four more years. Do you think that's? Do, do you think that's why he's moved from league to league and club to club to try and prove that he is the best? Could be. Yes, I think he's more ambitious than Messi. Where Messi has just said, yeah. "Look, I know my qualities. Mm-hmm. I know I'm the best, and I'm comfortable here, as and well. I'm comfortable here." Yeah. Different, shows different you different personalities, entirely. different characters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, two of the greatest of all time, so different. Yeah. And not just as footballers, because they're very different footballers too, but personality. mentally, personality, right? It's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. Maradona and Pele. Yeah. Right, who True, really were yeah. the, the previous Messi and Ronaldo, right? Yeah. Very different personalities. Yeah. I mean, compa- hey, keep it down up there. <laughs> when you're comparing. It's rowdier Maradona. than the Thicchio household here. Yeah. Jesus. Slamming doors. <laughs> But going back to discipline, I don't know if you remember a player called John Collins. He used to play for Celtic. Yeah, uh, John Collins, absolutely. Yeah, he actually Monaco. came over and did a World Cup, I think, for TSC. He did. That's right. That's right. That same guy. So, yeah. uh, like, it was a, a laughing kind of matter back in when we were playing. That 
he looked after himself in such a way that he did not have an off the field life. Like he would eat plain food. He would never have sauces like on his pasta. He would never eat like Mediterranean or Chinese food because it had too much salt or whatever it was in it. He didn't drink alcohol. He had like 0% body fat, <laughs> like worked out like a, a, a king every day, yeah. was cut, but never really reached the highest, highest level. I think he was a Champions League winner with maybe he won the Did he go to Germany? Germany? He with Dortmund. Germany. Yeah. Did he win so, with Dortmund? With, um, oh my God, I should know With this. the other guy, Lambert. Did him and Lambert, Lambert win it? Lambert uh, but was there. Again, so he, he was fine with the way he lived off of the field. But players at that time thought it was a joke because, like, what do you mean you're not having a glass of wine with your missus? Pub. Why, why are you not having, uh, like, spaghetti bolognese? Why would you not have the sauce? No, but if, if, the he, if he did eat that stuff, would he have reached the highest that he did? Even though he wasn't world class, he had a good career. Without living that way, would he have reached those heights? Again, it goes back to the discipline of that, that person. And we speak about Ronaldo's discipline in doing a core workout at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Monaco, by the way, he was in Monaco. That's where it was. He, he won the title at Monaco. Um, I believe he won. Yeah. We'll get to it. Keep talking. I'll figure this out. But decent player, yes, very gifted left foot. There you go. So, like, for me, maybe it's a bad thing that he, uh, I say he didn't play at an elite level, but he wasn't an elite, elite player, which we're yeah. talking about in the Ronaldo and Messi. But that personality, because a lot of the English guys don't travel well, don't travel but well. He's so disciplined. He could go to a place like Monaco and, and it probably prolonged it his career as well. For sure. You know? Yeah. Living like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Just, you wonder what if, eh? Imagine, <laughs> imagine how far your rugby career could have gone, Charms, yeah, if you, yeah. you live like that. And you, you, you could play for Canada now. You've been here long enough. Exactly. How about well, you and Alfonso up front? I thought you were talking about Canada rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Got more chance of playing for Canada rugby. You're right, though. Yeah, before you, <laughs> maybe. I'd be a good hooker, wouldn't I? Oh yeah. Well, nowadays you could actually. Yeah. They're all freaks of nature. No longer the old five foot five fat guy. No. You're not six foot two. You're not hooker now. Like, Jesus. Yeah. You'd be a good number eight. Yeah. Oh, be a beast. Oh, both of you. Actually, more second row. Craig's more second row. I think. Be Australian rules. They'd be loving us, wouldn't they? Yeah. I tell you what, I have taken up, Craig, Everybody's and you'll be happy to know this, golf. No. Yeah. Again? Again, my second vault with my little boy. I'm playing uh, on Friday with him because he's into it. And my oldest boy, Luca, he loves it. So he's got the, got the, the bug. Going? Got you, the bugs. Are you feeling comfortable? How's the swing? It's okay. It's okay. Hit it straight. Yeah. You're making contact? That's making contact, hitting it straight, which is yeah. the, the key <laughs> thing for me because once I hit a, like, a yeah. shank... That's where my head goes, and I start say, throwing head club, uh, throw clubs. Type. Well, this is the thing I think you would really like about that game is the fact that is it's so different than anything you've ever done. Yeah, it's you, something that I can't do properly, and that really yeah, bugs me. Yeah, and going for and being super ultra fit, yeah, is it probably not going to help you? Might help you get around the golf course. Kill my back a little bit more. But Although top golfers now, are in pretty good shape. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, Phil. I know absolutely. The better, the better they are. But it's just it's repeating the same swing mm-hmm. over a Good time, metronome. and then the different disciplines out of the bunker. Oh, it's just it's a still, mental game. Still, like you say, as soon as you shank one, the next one you're trying to hit. Yeah, you lost your head. I'm still working on my Mickelson calves, though. <laughs> <laughs> Need to do some calf lifts. I think out of all the things we discovered in this podcast over the, yeah. the last year or so. It's Four Canadians feels, feels in the top 100 at golf. 
for the first time. Really, eh? And, and two F1 drivers out of a field of, what, 21? Mm-hmm. Canadian. One of them is kind of well, bought, but... Yeah, well, right. dad owns a team. Helps. <laughs> yeah, his dad. good, though, in fairness. dad owns a team, exactly. Canadians coming through. Watch out. Yeah. Watch out. Watch the rest out. of the world. Yeah, we're, we're dealing with you. COVID the best way possible yeah. as well. Best left That's back right. in the world, too, apparently. Best left back in the world. Yeah, yeah. just that he's in the conversation is amazing. Hey, is Jonathan David joined uh, Lil? Supposedly, is it's 75% done. A bit disappointing, isn't it? I, I think it's, it's good a good him, move that he's going to go on and play for Lil. I think going to a club like Arsenal or somewhere like that, it would be a backward step in his development. Not in his career, but in his development. Because he won't play his many. He won't play his right. Yeah. So you want him to go to a place where he comes out of the gate flying, but... Quite honestly, I, I don't see that happening. It's such a different league. I'm just being purely selfish because I don't watch much, if any, French soccer. No, that's Lille, true. Lille uh, aren't in the Champions League as it stands. Did, they didn't make the Champions League, did they? Lille. No. I don't think. Lyon just got budged out. It was either Lyon or Lille got budged out. I think Lille's budged out. That'll be the biggest thing with him is just whether or not they think he can make the step up. Mm-hmm. Because quite clearly, if they thought he could, he would be at... Yeah, a massive club. Yeah, and it just takes one person to believe in that. Mm-hmm. Maybe then he gets his chance. Part of his plan, maybe. You know, yeah. Well, if he spends there. a couple of years at Lille, like you say, he's going to play. It's good. He'll find his way. It's his first club, first language as well. He's from yeah. Ottawa, right? I feel more comfortable there. So yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, good for him. I'm not criticizing the guy, but just from a purely selfish standpoint, I want to see him in the prem. <laughs> yeah. One day, this yep. could be a stepping stone to get there. That's why I think it's a good move for him, for his could development. Be, uh, in Brentford's colours this time next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So you could you. I, I want to get you a Brentford shirt. Lil shirt. might give him less of a hassle playing internationally too. Yeah, true. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say something there. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, how, how it works. Because, you, you, I mean, Byron could put him under pressure too, playing for Canada. Yeah, they're not going to say it publicly because they can't because of FIFA rules. But right, but they, if there's a case where he's got a little knock, yeah. and they're you know how it works, and they come and they go, you know, you should really take should a couple really weeks go. off. You shouldn't be traveling halfway across the world. And but coach, I don't have to play in the hex anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't it's know good, what they're doing for qualifying. For qualifying eh? we, oh, yeah. They don't know what they're doing for qualifying still, yet. Still, I know, but it yeah. won't be the it won't be the hex, which is good. Whatever it is, you got to think. But there's so much to organize. Um, from CONCACAF's point of view, how are they going to do it? How do they please everybody? How do they get the Champions CONCACAF League games played? There's so much to organize, and dates are going to be difficult. Many I tell you what, left. Victor Montagliani, he might have his hands full here or trying to organize this. Like This is really, really I a think, situation that nobody's been in before. Yeah, I think this year is going to be a wash. I really do. I'm worried, worried for MLS. I'm worried for CPL. Yeah, CPL, um, one soccer was reporting that we should know something positive this week. It's Tuesday right now, so get a damn move on, will you? <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. I want to see the, the league develop well, you know, again. Not it, which is not a bad thing. They're no. going to make sure what they do decide is going to be the right thing. Well, Safety is key at the moment. I spoke to Jimmy last week, and he said they're still in group training. They're not even in team training yet, which is still tough. We went through three weeks of that at TFC, and it's tough. Not only for the staff, but for the players as well, because they just want to compete. They want to train in larger numbers. But, well, I mean, yeah. but people, I've kind of mentioned it before, but people don't realize that this, this so-called bubble, they aren't really bubbles per se, right? But the, the, the tightest bubbles are very expensive, like you mentioned, 
NBA. Yeah, like they are in a CPL can't pay hundred million for a, for a you know yeah foolproof bubble, right? No. There's going to be you know you're going to have some holes in it, obviously, and that's something they're trying to figure out right now. But we'll and then how you please the players? Like you're sitting there, can't leave your floor, can't interact with other teams right now. But event from the Raptors, Bruno or former Raptor. Cavallo? 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 Frank Bruno. No, I'm Yeah. Yeah. But he got caught with uh, going out. Exactly. And he's stuck in 10 days. And the NBA are like, we're spending all this money Frank to Bruno? make sure everybody's safe. They're getting tested all the time, which is another thing. Yeah. And I have some self-control, really. Like, come on. Testing. The testing costs a lot of money as well. Well, hold on. So a think about like, how many players you're testing in the NBA. Right. And is it fair that the general public in Florida takes six days to get their tests and it takes hours to get NBA, MLS? Yes, They've it been tested fair, 20, 30 of our times. Athletes are more important than regular Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're scum. Well, we had Grant Wall on a couple of weeks ago and his wife, uh, Celine Gounder. Um, regular does hits for CNN, a doctor. She's like. It puts an incredible strain on the system, the resources, even yeah. just to have these professionals tested all the time. There's only so many chemists out there doing tests, and it is a precursor for how, when, or when the vaccine comes out, who's going to get them first? They can have it first. I don't want the vaccine. No, me neither. No chance. Rushing that. Back well, you're not an anti-vaxxer. Well you're just an anti. You don't want to be the damn thing. You don't want to be the the guinea pig. The guinea pig. Yeah, there'll be <laughs> hundreds of millions of guinea pigs. Let's <laughs> 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 well, get into a vaccine yeah. conversation. That always ends well. <laughs> Soft hands and guinea pigs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that, that, that's the title of today's podcast: Soft hands and guinea pigs. All right. Can you? Uh, right can, can, can you? Can you tweet that to me? Because I'll forget it. So by the time I post it, that soft hands and yeah. guinea pigs, not soft guinea Big pigs. Phil Park, soft hands. <laughs> All right, fellas. We didn't talk about um, any lunch uh, kit stories, but we did talk about far more concerning Craig and Danny's uh, youthful experiences in football clubs. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. We're back next week, right? I think. Yeah. I guess. I guess so. Unless we're all dead. Which, as we've <laughs> touched upon before, is very possible. Mm. All right. Yeah, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 